listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. What is the Vegas lead here on this Tuesday? I think it's the Utah Jazz. I mean, the, the question here is how good is this team? And I think they are clearly better than people think. And why aren't they getting more love in the betting markets? And that's what we're here for, to answer those types of questions. Yeah, they are the best team in the NBA, and there was a battle last night between the top team in the West, the Utah Jazz, and the top team in the East, the Philadelphia 76ers. But it was Utah who came away victorious, 134-123 the final. The Jazz 23-5 and on the season. Okay, and if you look at the recent run, last 20 games, 19-1 and straight up. And 19 and one against the spread. Now, there's one of those games that could have been 18 one and one, but I think the consensus is 19 and one against the spread. Now, that's amazing. We can say, ah, oh, it's just a regular season, ah, blah, blah, blah. Maybe, but the, we're talking about an against the spread streak that is as good as any we have on record. I mean, our NBA database goes back to 1995 that we trust, and no one has done better than 19 and one against the spread. So we're talking about as good as any team's been in 25 years. That's a quarter century. And it feels very sustainable. And what I want to do is explain, and again, NBA something, it's my second favorite sport, uh, NFL being first, but I really lean on, you know, there's so much, so many good analytically driven commentators that if you know where to look and take a consensus and spend the time, you can get some real insights. And the f- main one here comes from uh, John Hollinger, who's a former front office executive now with The Athletic. And he makes the following point. Utah has amazing shooting on the perimeter, but they're undersized. Okay, so usually that would mean, okay, they're going to score a lot of points, but they're going to give up a lot of points. But they've got an eraser. They've got a trump card, which is Rudy Gobert is as good as anyone, if not better than anyone, as a rim defender. He can defend the rim. He can switch out on, you know, if they are switching. He's just a monster inside. So it's almost like the following, Jonas. And I don't know how many jazz games you've watched, if any, but the idea that you could say, Half the game is offense, half the game is defense, which makes the NBA unlike, you know, any other sport, really. I guess baseball kind of, but you got the pitcher who's a specialist. But the idea that Tom Brady, right, a lot of people were joking, well, he can't be the GOAT, he doesn't play defense. It's like you can't just be uh, one side of the ball in the NBA uh, exclusively. Or if you are, you're going to be a limited player. And so there's oftentimes trade-offs, right? Great offense, bad defense, or vice versa. If you have a bad defense or defensive players, you usually suffer for it. But because Gobert is such an equalizer and eraser, they've got a pretty good defense. Or like actually a top five in the league defense. And even though four of their players typically on the court are undersized and aren't necessarily good defenders that that one elite defensive player, Gobert, makes up for all of it, and thus they are good on offense and defense without having, let's say, many of the superstars you might expect for that. And that is the driver 
of this Utah Jazz team, the way they're shooting the three and their ability not to then pay the price on defense. Is that what you've seen? How does that resonate with you? Yeah, and it's nice to see a guy who realizes, look, in a three-point shooting league, that's not my game. I have no interest in it. You'll see teams to where, you know, a, a guy who was brought in as a big man, is his his shot continues to move further and further back. And, you know, the Sixers and Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid's in the MVP conversation, but, you know, he's out there shooting threes. Rudy Gobert's attempted four three-point shots in his career. Like, he has no interest in it. It's it's not his thing. He's not into it. If he scores, it's a bonus, but it's his defense. It's his rebounding, and I think it complements everybody uh, on that team really well based on where they're at this season. That's Jonas Snox. We're straight out of Vegas. I agree with everything you said except one thing I, I'd like to kind of flesh out. He doesn't shoot from outside Gobert with the Jazz, but he's actually a, a, a very much a scoring threat around the basket yeah. Whereas his that is freeing up to a greater degree those outside shots. They're not only sharpshooters, but they're getting fairly open shots. Not wide open, but they're not getting completely smothered out there because of his ability in the paint to score. Gobert, if he was just all defense, right, and a guy that maybe scores four points a game or whatever, you could make the case that, yeah, the defense is great, but the offense, he hinders him. I would make the case that he is the most important player, Gobert, on offense and defense. And you might say, well, you know, you look here at this guy. and But I don't think anyone, you know, obviously a Mitchell is uh, an elite player. But I think that the replacement for him is going to be a drop off, let's say, significant. But yeah. it doesn't fundamentally change the way they play. If Gobert's out, it changes the way they play both on offense and defense because on offense they don't have they won't really have an inside scoring presence, which means okay. the outside shot gets smothered. Yeah, I totally agree. And and everything Rudy Gobert's offense, everything is close to the basket. So those guys can hang out and they can they can hit their jump shots and they can hit from three and all that because they know they've got somebody down in the paint that when all else fails, that guy's going to get you a basket if need be. It's why his field goal percentage is so high. It's why he's I, I think his field goal percentage this year is close to 64 percent, which is his average uh, for his career. He was up to close to 70 percent a year ago. So, yeah, near the basket he's been pretty dominant which Jonas with the depth of knowledge I wonder if I brought up <laughs> college hockey would you be rattling off how the goalie Just, I mean you gotta love it Jonas Knox it depends everything. on how fast Google works uh, <laughs> nah, look at you underselling <laughs> yourself the Jazz number one in three-point attempts you think about Utah Sloan you don't really think about like a, a modern offense but obviously Sloan's not there it's a different era and number four in three-point percentage, which, again, when you have high volume, it's tough to have percentage. Number one in rebounds, number four in offensive rebounds. This team is good. Now, are they a playoff team? Or when I say, obviously, they're going to make the playoffs. I mean, are they a team that's going to excel in the playoffs? Maybe not. That's, always, that's going to be the question. How will they match up against the Lakers? That's going to be the question. But to just put a point on how good they've been, 19-1 and straight up, the Utah Jazz, 19-1 and against the spread, as good as any run. There's one team that matched that in the last 25 years, that ATS run. And here is, I think, even the most amazing part of it. So in the 19-1, and they lost to Denver, all right? That's one. They had another game against Denver that they won by only four points, all right? Then they had a game against the Pacers they won by eight. 
In the other 17 games, they've won by double digits. Think about that. 17 games, two against Denver, one loss, one four-point win, eight-point win against the Pacers. So really, they've had, in this 19-1 run, they've had one other game that was fairly competitive, which was Denver by four. And here's the thing, and this is such great insight, again from Hollinger. He said the only player in the league that can do the following, he can score inside in a way that Gobert has to guard him inside, that they can't put someone else on him. And he could go outside, and he's so good outside that Gobert has to go out on him. Because think about it. If a guy's only inside, right, Gobert may or may not have, you know, but I'm sorry, if a guy is bad inside but lives on the outside like some of these centers do now, you don't even have to put Gobert on him. You put your four on him, your power forward, and he defends him out there, you know, at the three because he won't be able to really take him down in the blocks because he's not a great block, box, uh, blocks player. Let's say one of these typical modern centers. Right. Or if you've got the guy inside and he only can go inside, well, Gobert's going to guard him, but he's still protecting the rim. But the joker for Denver is the only guy that Gobert has to guard him both inside and outside. So he goes outside a lot against Utah, and that stops the rim protection. And thus, if you think about it, that Denver is the only two games that's been within eight points. So 18 other games, when there isn't that very unique, one-of-a-kind bad matchup for Gobert in Utah, and we saw it last year in the playoffs to some degree, otherwise 18 games— Eight or more points in every game. Wow. And, and what's amazing about it, I, I just uh, found it, because I was curious to see, now that we've been talking about this run that they've been on, just the overall season, Utah against the spread. And and I, from what I'm seeing, they're 75%, which means if you just blindly played Utah four times, three out of those four, you're going to make money, which is crazy to think about, especially in the NBA when people, you know, with the runs and everything that happens in the league because of the three-point shot, they've been that good this season. And maybe it's a coincidence, and we're going to take our first break. Maybe it's not, but Embiid, who's having an MVP-level season himself, all of a sudden had a a little soreness before the Gobert matchup. (laughs) I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying maybe that was a a business decision. He's that good. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. If you look at the Utah Jazz, and obviously their record is the best in the league, they're 19-1 straight up, 19-1 against the spread, but they're only the fifth favorite to win the title. 12-1 you can still get. 12-1, the fifth favorite. And Lakers are first, and we'll talk about them in a minute. But if you look at these last 20 games and take out the two Denver games, you might say, why take out the Denver games? Well, hold on a second. In those other 18 games, they literally are 18-0, and they've won every game by eight points or more, Utah has. So the two Denver games was a loss for Utah and a four-point win. So the two closest or worst games were against Denver. Why does it matter? Well, like we said, Gobert is an eraser inside. He allows the other four guys to be undersized a little bit, sharpshooter types, and they wouldn't be able to play even decent defense without him down in the blocks protecting the rim. So against any other team, he's fine. 
right? Because other than Denver, because if it's a center inside, he can handle them no problem and still defend the rim. And if they go outside, if they're one of those players that just live on the outside, even though they're the center, Gobert doesn't go out there. They put an undersized guy on him, but the undersized doesn't matter because the guy, the center on the other team's not going inside very much. But Jokic from Denver is the only guy that has to be followed outside by Gobert. So when he goes outside, Gobert follows him. You know why? Because if he doesn't, if an undersized guy guards him and follows him out there, Jokic will take him in the box, uh, in the blocks and just dominate him. So once Gobert goes outside, that exposes the rest of the team as the poor defensive team. They are undersized, the Jazz, on defense, and that weakness is exposed. And against Denver, they've really struggled. And if you look the last two seasons, 9-3 and three against the spread, Denver is against Utah. So I think it makes Utah even more impressive because other than that one matchup, they're even more dominant. A lot of things to think about there. I think the Jazz, uh, how they match up against the Lakers, I'm not sure. It is a great day to join us. It's the fastest growing show on Fox Sports Radio. Audience has doubled in the last year plus. And as you see, we're going to wrap our arms around the NBA, NCAA tournament, and have a great, great run continued right here in Vegas on the Strip. 64 degrees, and I'm not bragging. I'm just saying, and the neon is flowing. We talked about the team with the best record in the NBA, the Utah Jazz, but RJ, who's the team favored to win the NBA championship? LA Lakers, and they're the clear favorites. And when Anthony Davis, with the Achilles issue, expected to miss two to three weeks, and you would think, oh, that's bad, right? Well, maybe, but the Lakers' title odds, no change. The rationale is simple. Well, seedings don't matter all that much, apparently, and it's LeBron, and they can win on the road, even you know, if they don't get the number one seed, and he'll be fine by playoff time. Does that resonate with you, Jonas? Would you downgrade the Lakers' chances based upon the injury of Anthony Davis? No, not until I had some certainty. If there was, you know, if there was a clear Achilles issue and and it's been nagging him, but I I don't I don't think it's the situation that we saw with Kevin Durant where there was some real concern about it. And you know, if he comes back, it wasn't that big of a surprise if something happened. It doesn't feel like it's to that extent. So if it were that, then I would be maybe a little bit concerned. But I think they're going to rest him and. And just hope that he comes back and, and they're ready they're ready to go for the postseason run. So I agree that this uh, you know there's about nine games or so between now and the All-Star break uh, March 7th. So assuming that's the range, we're talking about nine games. So it might mean in theory, you know I think Davis is worth probably four points a game maybe, three and a half. and thus what do they lose one extra game, two extra games? How much does it matter? I would be concerned if it increases the likelihood that he's just banged up, that 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 he's you know especially the Achilles. If it's something that's been lingering, you know, it, it does seem like in some way it uh, slightly increases the chance of another injury down the road. And if so, I think you got to count for that. Uh, and clearly, the Lakers without Anthony Davis would not be the favorite to win the title. So he is instrumental to the Lakers. Obviously, LeBron is the most instrumental. We're straight out of Vegas. I'm R.J. Bell. And he is now the clear favorite, LeBron James, to win the MVP. 
he is plus 170. So 100 wins you 170. Next up, <laughs> the Joker, 5 to 1. Embiid, 5.5 to 1. Steph Curry, 10 to 1. Last week, last week, LeBron was plus 275. So the payoff has gone down over. A dollar, so it was 100 wins you 275. Now to win MVP, 100 wins you 170. So looking at that list, LeBron plus 170, Jokic 5 to 1, Embiid 5.5 to 1, Steph Curry 10 to 1. If you had 100 bucks I gave you and said, bet one of those, which one do you bet? Oh, I'm betting LeBron, especially with the news of Anthony Davis missing time, because that's also going to push this, I I would think, even further in favor of LeBron, because the argument is going to be, and he did it without his his cohort, without the second best player on the team and Anthony Davis. Look at LeBron. If the Lakers are are a top three seed in the West or a top two seed in the Western Conference, I think it's LeBron easy. I think, and and I think it's a narrative. You know, we know the MVP is a narrative award, and he hasn't won it. I think it's been seven seasons he hasn't won it. So he won four out of five, and that was it. You know, he didn't win early in his career, you know, super early. Then he had that four out of five, and then he hasn't won for seven seasons. So to be candid, I'm not the biggest LeBron lover in the world, but I, I try to look at him fairly. I think if he continues what he's doing, I think it would be deserved. Uh, still, though, if you like it, 100 wins you 170. It still has a nice payoff. I was surprised, McKenzie, pregame.com research. McKenzie, get the exact numbers on this, but my instinct was LeBron was playing an inordinate number of minutes, meaning it was like, why is he playing so much? But the numbers actually say he is playing as little minutes, or f- as few minutes per game as he has at any point in his career. I think last year was about the same. Yep. Jonas, would you agree that... Did you get the did you get the feeling that LeBron was just playing more than you would expect? That was sort of the push that well he hasn't uh, you know he's not taking any days off. LeBron's out there really really playing hard, but then you look and it's more so that he's playing in all these games, just maybe not as many mm. minutes as normally. And I think that's where people are kind of confusing the two. Now, that's a great point. Um, first of all, I find it more impressive, meaning if he's doing. If he's just putting in unnecessary minutes to win an award, I'm thinking, wow, you're sacrificing or or decreasing the chance to win a title to win an MVP, right? Because we know know that the more minutes he plays in the regular season, the less fresh he's going to be later. So in the playoffs. So in general, that doesn't seem like a great that seems like a selfish trade off if that if 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 that was happening. The fact it doesn't seem to be I, you know, it, it, it's more impressive what LeBron's accomplishing, meaning his impact on the game. Mackenzie, do you have those exact numbers? Yes. So this year he's averaging 34.6 minutes per game. That would be his lowest uh, tied with last year, 34.6. And LeBron. before that, he's never been as low as 34.6. Yes. And it's been going down. The year before was 35 and a half. So he's been playing less in his in his elder years. <laughs> well, if only I looked like him. <laughs> if I had his body fat in the elder years, I would take it. All right, we're straight out of Vegas. So wouldn't you agree, last word on this, Jonas, is that that would be more impressive, right? Assuming the impact is the same, right? It doesn't change. His minute count doesn't change what has been his impact. It seems like it's more impressive. Yeah, and, and there's, there's some out there that 
think that part of this is the reason why he's playing in all these games, even if it's decreased minutes, but that he's out there for all these games is because he really wants that all-time scoring number like he wants he wants to pass Kareem that 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 is a goal and so that's sort of I don't know if conspiracy theory is the right right word but one of the one of the motives that is out there is that LeBron wants to be the all-time leading scorer now see that would have never uh entered my mind because my thinking is the number of years you play is so much more important than if you play 37 minutes or 31, right? Because think about it. It would take like six six years of that difference to make one year of additional play if you're playing, let's say, 30 minutes a game. So if anything, it seems like players break down when they play significantly more than is reasonable. Like it's not so much the years, but it's rather, especially with the Olympics over the years and stuff, where you're just having these, you go all the way to the finals, then you play in the Olympics, then you're back playing in November. It seems like that's what shortens careers more than, uh, and, and, and the idea of playing, let's say, so many more minutes than they would expect. Yeah, it would help your scoring, but it seems like it would diminish the number of years. So I'm not sure about that strategy. Wouldn't you agree in general, if you knew LeBron was going to play, let's say, 32 the rest of his career, you would think, oh, I think he'll play at least one more year than if he was playing 36 or 37? Um, see, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think he knows his body better than anybody. And I also think that when he came out before the season was talking about how little time they had from the bubble to the start of this year, and yet he hasn't taken a game off. I think he was sort of, you know, laying the groundwork. Well, for, he's man, always doing that. Yeah. So, so it, it's hard because I just think there are more motives beyond what he says. Um, and, and I do think that scoring title, I, I think that's something that he definitely wants. Now, I could be alone on that, but I don't know. I feel like there, there's something more there. I, I do not begrudge. LeBron trying to affect the narrative, right? Because if, if, you, if you're not affecting it and you're him, right. someone else is. So, But he certainly is thinking about the narrative. I'm R.J. Bell straight out of Vegas. So you did do three hours on the Clay show, Clay Travis show, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, which, again, in L.A., I don't have a calculator, but that seems early. <laughs> it's early. It, um, it seems like looking at your notes, you've got a hot take on Carson Wentz, or at least a take. Why don't we go to that? Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. The Carson Wentz situation, everybody assumed that a trade was going to be done maybe even last week. And, and the, the assumption was, all right, well, they're going to get it done. And, you know, maybe it'll be a first rounder. And now we found out as the days have gone on that the Indianapolis or that the Indianapolis Colts have had, quote unquote, the highest offer. But nobody's offered up a first round pick for Carson Wentz. Albert Breer was on the herd yesterday on Fox Sports Radio. He said the Bears are the favorites right now, but the Carson Wentz's preference is Indianapolis, obviously because of Frank Reich. And so my only thought is, if you've got a coach who knows this quarterback as well as Frank Reich does, 
and he's not willing to put in a first-round offer and his organization isn't willing to put in a first-round offer at a position where they clearly have a need because Philip Rivers just retired, maybe that's kind of an eye-opening situation to, to think about based on him knowing him as well as he does and still not thinking he's worth a first-round pick to this point. Yeah, so one thing I would say is he knows him the way he remembers him. And, you know, we've all seen the movie where the girl and the guy dated in high school. The girl goes off to college. The guy becomes a mechanic. He starts drinking. He has maybe a bad marriage. And she comes back at like, you know, 33. And he's just not the same man. You've seen that movie, haven't you, Yeah. Well, maybe Carson Wentz is not the same man because his stats are obviously way different than they were that year. Now... Again, ego, and ego is a great thing. Ego gives you confidence to try things, etc. I mean, it can be too much, but you know, some people tell me that, but I, I just ignore it. I don't even care. No, but, <laughs> but, but the point is, all joking aside, is that obviously Reich is going to think I can fix it. I can fix it. Um, I also kind of would push back on your point about it's a sign of him not liking. Wentz, you don't only you don't have to be more than the best, right? So if no one else is offering a one, and you're offering the best offer, let's say, well, why would you? You don't negotiate against yourself, right? So no. in a way, Wentz might think he's worth three number ones, but he's not going to offer three number ones. I think once if he lets if uh, Reich lets Wentz go to Chicago, let's say, yeah. And it's only, let's say, 1-1. Then I think you can say he said no to that, right? But until he says no and lets someone else have him, I don't think we can judge necessarily what Reich thinks about him. But what I can say is the odds are for sure the Colts are favored. So the Colts are plus 150 to land Wentz. Bears are 2-1. to Panthers are 5-1. to Washington is 8 to 1, Denver 12 to 1. So it goes Colts, Bears, Panthers, Washington, Denver to land Wentz. Any closing thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, and I think that one of the things that Albert Breer pointed out was that the Bears also feel like they can fix him, that they've got you know some some coaches in place. Um, DiFilippo, who was with Carson Wentz in Philadelphia for a couple of seasons, he feels like he can fix him. So both of these situations feel like they've got personnel that can fix Carson Wentz, and I would agree – if after this is all said and done and he ends up in Chicago and it, there was no first-round pick involved, that's when this would really perk my my curiosity about what they think is left with Carson Wentz yeah. in Indianapolis if they weren't even willing to give up you know, more than a number two or two number twos uh, to land him. Because I feel like Philadelphia knows Carson Wentz's preference is Indianapolis. At least they would have an understanding as to what these offers are. And who knows? Maybe they would get him out of the conference, tell Indianapolis, here's what the best offer is. Can you beat it? If if Indy's still not willing to beat it from that point, then I think that's that makes the story even more interesting. But if you're pessimistic about him, do you really want him out of the conference? Or you'd rather him in conference, right? So yeah, that's the true. question. How pessimistic is Philly? And the last thing I'll say is this. Think about the Jared Goff 
trade, which we know, and some people missed it, but we know that one of those number ones that the Rams sent to Detroit was to take Goff. So that meant the distance from Goff's contract to his performance was so great that it took a number one for someone to take the contract. Are we really saying that Wentz's distance from his contract is any less I would make the case Goff played significantly better than Wentz last Agreed. year, and their contract isn't that different. So, to if anything, Wentz has more years on it. So, to me, this idea, this the fact the move hasn't happened yet, has more to do with how little anyone's offering. That's what I think we're going to discover. 